0: You can be seated this morning and go ahead and be turning in your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 4. That's where we're going to be spending our time this morning as we think about faith, continue to think about what faith is. As we think about that this morning, let me just say that I'm someone who really enjoys online shopping, maybe a little bit too much, which is why I'm currently got myself kind of on a little bit of a pause or a break from all shopping in general. But I like online shopping for a couple of reasons. One, because it's convenient, right? It's safe, um, all those things. But some of you might say you're not online shoppers because there are also downsides to that. And one of those downsides to shopping online is the rise of counterfeits. On websites like Amazon and eBay. It's easy for third-party vendors sometimes to get on there and sell fake products or stolen products. Some of those even being unsafe to the consumer. That's become a big problem. Such a big problem that last year, Republicans and Democrats in the United States House agreed that it was a problem that needed to be addressed. Right. So for that group to agree on anything, right? You know, it must be pretty obvious. Fake products, usually of inferior quality, they can be mass-produced in unregulated economies around the world where workers are underpaid and unprotected and then sold in high quantities and at low prices to unsuspecting consumers. And that does harm to the workers who are making those fake products, to the companies and workers producing the authentic products, and also to the consumer and the economy at large. If you've ever been burned by purchasing a fake product online, you know that pain firsthand. Maybe you thought you had found the latest and the hottest toy or tech item or whatever it was that you were shopping for as a Christmas gift only to find that Elmo had a third ear or that those AirPods weren't quite the real deal that you expected them to be or that you, whoever you bought them for, those Nikes, they put them on and they just kind of fell apart after they wore them a couple of times. And so then you find yourself online right, Googling and trying to search maybe what you should have searched before, and that is how do I spot a fake? Or if you're a more positive person than me, maybe you're searching for how do I know if this is authentic? How do I know if it's authentic? Over the last several weeks or over the last year, you may have seen one of the articles or stories about demand for N95 masks skyrocketing. And as that demand increased exponentially, businesses rightly saw an opportunity, both businesses with integrity and those without any. And so while buying a fake pair of Jordans isn't all that dangerous to us really, other than maybe to our pride or to our wallet, when frontline healthcare workers are handed a fake mask that's supposed to protect them and it only provides a fraction of the protection it's supposed to, then that is a much more dangerous Situation, And so hospitals have needed to step up even more of their research into the protective equipment they're providing to their workers, asking, how do we know this is authentic? How do we know this is the real deal? See, so the answer to the presence of counterfeits or fakes is not to say, right, we'll never be able to figure it out, we'll never be able to sort it out, so we'll just go on and hope for the best, right? That's not the answer. It's to ask the question, how can we be sure this is authentic. And in the book of 1 John, near the end of his letter, John says that that is why he is writing, so that his readers, so that believers may know that we have eternal life, that they would have faith in Jesus. He's not writing so that people would be uncertain or unsure, but that they would know, he says. He's not writing so that people would be afraid or scared, but so that we would have assurance. He's writing so that we would know that our faith is real, that it is authentic. Already in the first century, there were some who had started out in the faith that had started to fall away. Already in the first century, there was division among those who claimed to believe in Jesus. So the question is, how do we know if faith is authentic? John says we can know in this way, faith is evidenced by love faith is evidenced by love. Faith is really one of those things that is difficult for us to describe because it's not something we can see. You can't see someone's heart. You can't tell if they're trusting or who they're trusting or what they're trusting. You can't see faith and say, like you can maybe with another product, right? Like see, the logo is a little off-centered here or the stitching is a little bit different here, but you can always see where faith has been, and that is what John is telling us here in 1 John chapter 4. Faith is evidenced by love. Someone says they have faith and don't have love. And John would say what they have is a counterfeit. Let's look at it together. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know means at least three things for our lives this morning that we see in this passage. First, it means that faith is evidenced by experiencing the love of God. The main point of this passage is that as believers in Jesus, we are called to love one another. That is the test of the authenticity of our faith. And so I don't want us to lose that, but the call to love one another comes after John's address of his readers as beloved. He isn't writing here to the world at large, or addressing the general public, John's audience is those he refers to repeatedly as beloved, those of us who are bound together in love by a shared experience of the love of God. So he begins here by telling us, love one another. Why? Because love is from God. I think we sometimes think of God's love toward us and our love toward others as two separate things, but John says here they are not. He says love is from God to the point that anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. John points us to our experience with the love of God here through faith, saying first that love is from God, but then circling back in verse 8 to say God is love. And so, yes, God is the source of love, but even more than that, He is the source of love in a way that, say, a vast lake is a source of water. You don't have a lake, right? If you don't have a water in the lake, right? Without water, you might have a crater or a big hole in the ground or a canyon, but you don't have a lake. Water is essential to what it means to have a lake. It's essential to the character and nature of a lake. It's essential to the meaning of the word. Just as love is essential to who God is. And so to say that God is love. It's for John to say here that love is all-encompassing, that everything about who God is, and by extension, what He does, what He says, is consistent with His love. So the things that God says in His Word that we read that feel right to us, as we read them, those flow from His love. The things that we read in God's Word that He says that maybe cause us to bristle a little bit, those flow from His love. The things we read about God doing in the Old Testament or in the Bible as we read that cause us to stand up and shout for joy, those flow from his love just as those that we read that kind of puzzle us a little bit flow from his love. God is the source of love. It's essential to his nature. And so love is defined not by me, but by God, which is really good news for us. So if we read the scriptures, though, at any point, and we read of God doing something, and we say, a loving God would never do, right, fill in the blank with whatever we read in the Bible, God doing, then we need to understand it's my understanding at that point of love that is deficient and not the character of God. That can happen, though, in ways that aren't necessarily ill-intended, because you and I just don't see completely, and we don't see everything clearly from where we stand in this fallen, broken world. So we need to know that if we define love, we won't see the whole picture, which is why it is good news, literally the good news, the gospel, that the love of God was made manifest among us, John says. Because we haven't seen God, John says, but we can see what love looks like in verse 9. The love of God is all-encompassing when it comes to God's character and activity. And verse 9 says that the love of God is also life-giving to us. God sent His only Son into the world to give us life. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Faith is evidenced by experiencing God's love. And we experience God's love by faith in Jesus, trusting in Jesus who came to give life to those of us who were dead in our sin. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 say, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God's love Toward us is how we know what love is. It's not the other way around. God's love is all-encompassing. It's life-giving. Jesus is how we know what love looks like. Love is not defined by my love for God, but by His love toward me, sending Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins, which is just the big Greek word way of saying that what we saw in Hebrews a few weeks ago, really, that Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins that Jesus bore the wrath our sin deserves so that God can look upon us in grace and with favor rather than with judgment. And so through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, God looks toward you this morning. If you're trusting in Jesus, God looks toward you not with an ounce of disappointment or resentment, but with the favor with which he addresses Jesus in the Gospels. It's his beloved child. We can't see God, but he's shown us what his love looks like. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love of God that we are invited to experience. If you're a believer in Jesus this morning, then it is the love that you have experienced. Faith is evidenced by experiencing the love of God. And so this morning, I will just ask you first, have you experienced That love in your life? Have you turned from sin and placed your faith in Jesus? How and when did God draw you to repentance through His love? Have you experienced the love of God in your life personally? Say, we've all probably had the experience in our lives of trying to relay or describe some event or something that happened to somebody who wasn't there. Maybe it was a trip or something that seemed really funny in the moment, but then you're trying to describe it to somebody later, and they're just kind of looking back at you as you relay this event that had this profound impact on you or that you thought was the funniest thing ever, and they're just kind of staring back at you with a a blank stare, right? And you kind of just finally wind up saying, well, what? I guess you had to be there. There are probably aspects of our relationship with the Lord and the way He has worked in your life to bring you to faith in Christ that are like that, where you can't fully put into words at all the points in your story what was going on in your spirit. And so maybe you're tempted to say, well, I guess you had to be there. But when it comes to experiencing the love of God, the good news is that you didn't have to be there. You just have to be exactly where you are. That's the whole point of the gospel is that you didn't have to be there Because Jesus went to the cross for you. Because while you were still a sinner, Jesus came to die for you. And when you believe in Jesus, God abides in you. He's given us his spirit. And so you didn't have to be there because God himself comes to dwell within those who have faith in Jesus. And so God's love isn't one of those you had to be there things. And that's true for you and also for everyone that you meet. And so our testimony, our story, of our experience with the all-encompassing, life-giving, redeeming, abiding love of God, it is a powerful testimony, but it doesn't point to the ultimate love unless we are pointing people to Jesus. That is the ultimate source of love. Jesus' story is the good news. And so we point people to the gospel and the truth that God by His Spirit has come to dwell with us. As it says here, the Spirit compels us to testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. You may have learned the song growing up. It says, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Later verse in that song says this, Jesus loves me. He will stay close beside me all the way. Thou hast bled and died for me. I will henceforth live for thee. Faith is evidenced by experiencing the love of God. Have you? If not this morning, would you? God sent his son to be the savior of the world. He died in your place and was raised on the third day while we were still sinners, while we were still hostile toward his reign in our hearts and in our lives. And faith is evidenced by love, and it starts with us experiencing that love, receiving it, opening our hearts to what God has for us. Would you place your faith in Jesus this morning. I would love to talk more with you after our service this morning about what that looks like. So how do you know if faith is genuine? First, faith is evidenced by experiencing the love of God. Second, second, faith is evidenced by showing the love of God. Faith is evidenced by showing the love of God. Here's the refrain that runs from the top of our passage this morning to the bottom. The central point of this passage, love one another. It's an invitation. It is a command that is maybe both narrower and more expansive than we might expect. Beloved, let us love one another. It's somewhat narrow in the sense that it's calling us to love those who are in the church with us, to love one another. It's a call to this reciprocal love among those who have been born of God and know God and who have been born again in Jesus. Are we called to love those outside the church? Yes, we are. Are we called to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? Yes, but that is not the invitation of this particular passage. There's an even more basic test, John says, when it comes to genuine faith, and that is, do you love your brothers and sisters in the church? This passage is in many ways an expansion of Jesus' words in John 13, 35, where he said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So maybe in that regard, this is a little narrower than we might expect, but it's also more expansive, as we've already seen, because we don't get to set the parameters of what love is. We don't get to set the agenda for showing love to one another. God has already done that. And the first thing we see about loving one another is that we love because love is from God, and so are we. If you've experienced the life-saving and destiny-changing love of God, then that is more than just mentally agreeing with a bunch of facts. It's a personal encounter with the God of the universe that results in you knowing the one who is love, knowing the one from whom all love flows. It's us being born again. Beloved, we're called to love one another because we are a family. We're brothers and sisters who are Placed together in this place, who have the same Father. Love is essential to our nature as believers in Jesus because it's essential to His nature. It's in our DNA. We love because love is from God, and so are we. And we love because God's love toward us is not finished or complete until we love one another. We know what love looks like because God sent Jesus to die for our sins so that we might live through Him. Your life in him is more than a second chance. It is a new birth, a new life that is marked by love. And so the end point, the goal of the love of God, isn't just that you would experience God's love for yourself and by yourself. The goal of God's love is that you would show that love to those around you. Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. When we love one another, God's love is perfected in us. John's not saying there that we're always going to get it right when it comes to loving one another. We know that's not the case. What he's saying is that the finish line for God's love, the point at which it has completed its course, is not when you receive it, but when you give it to others. Think back to the analogy of the lake. When water flows out of a lake into, say, a river or creek or some other tributary, then that lake becomes not just a reservoir of water, but a source of water. And that's how God's love is designed to work in us. We're to be more like a lake than a pond. And we become, though, a bunch of stagnant ponds that collect God's love without being an outlet of God's love, then the enemy has won a victory in our lives. When we believe and live with the mindset, I'm okay with Jesus, so let them figure it out on their own, then we're turning our lives into a dam that stops the flow of God's love. His love toward us isn't finished until we are loving those around us, loving one another in the body of Christ. People can't see God, John says, but they can see his love if we're faithful, to show it to them. Verse 19, John writes, we love because he first loved us. God's love is the source of our love, the reason for our love, the example for our love. We love because he loved us first. It is actually the love of God that is flowing through us, not some lesser or different kind of love. It is, in fact, God's love perfected in us flowing through us to one another. And that means that our love for one another, what should it look like? It should look like the love that Jesus has shown to us. If you're reading through the gospel of Matthew with us in our daily devotionals, then you've seen, as we've been reading through that gospel, what the love of Jesus looks like day after day, examples of what it looks like for Jesus to make manifest the love of God. But just in this passage, we see ways that We can point out where the love of God was made manifest in Jesus. So what does it look like for us to love one another like Jesus has loved us? We see Jesus shows us that the love of God takes sacrificial action. Look at verse 9 again. It doesn't say that God just kept us in his thoughts. It says that God sent his only son so that we might live through him. God took specific action to to meet our specific need. To quote Clint Black, love isn't something that we have, it's something that we do. When we see a brother or sister who is hurting or struggling or in need, right? what do we do? How do we respond? The love of God takes action to meet the specific needs of our specific situation, action that cost him something. And so for us to show love to one another, it will require us to take action action that might cost us something, at the very least our comfort or convenience or maybe a little bit of our time. That action doesn't have to be something extremely extravagant or complicated either, though. We see as we look at the example of Jesus that the love of God shows up and stays around. The love of God shows up and stays around. God sent the Son, and now He's given us His Spirit. Verse 15 says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Too much of the love that we have for one another in our churches is fleeting rather than abiding. I'll love you until you disagree with me. I'll love you until it makes me uncomfortable. Whether it's because we don't maybe know in a situation at times when people are going through something, what to say or how to help, or because we just don't want to, whatever it is, we often kind of wind up disappearing instead of showing up and loving one another. But the love of God, the love of God didn't avoid my mess and my brokenness. Did it yours? Did it? No. The love of God shows up and stays around. And so maybe you don't know what to say or how to help at some given moment, but show up for each other, right? Say, just say that, right? Say, I don't know exactly what to say right now, but I'm here for you. Or say, I don't know exactly what to say or to do for you right now or how I can help, but I'm praying for you. Be there, show up. Showing up matters, staying matters. I would venture to guess that when you look back It's some of the most difficult and darkest times of your life. Your memory probably isn't of some long speech that you can remember word for word that somebody showed up and spoke these profound words into your life. It's of those who were there for you, those who were by your side, who didn't leave when things got hard. That's what the love of God does. Faith is evidenced by showing the love of God. So how are we showing the love of God to one another? We can romanticize what love means to one another to the point that we can't do it. Because when we're trying to love real people, broken people, as broken people, that's not easy. If we only love those we want to love, though, then what's flowing from us at that point isn't the love of God, but the love of self. If we only Love the way that we want to love when it's easy for us to do it, then that's not the love of God, that's the love of self. God doesn't love us, though, on the basis of who we are or what we've done, but on the basis of who Christ is and because of what he has done. Jesus didn't love us up until a certain point when it got hard and then stopped. He was obedient all the way to the point of death, laying down his life for us. Are we showing the love of God to one another? Are our thoughts of one another? Our words toward one another, our actions toward one another, are they marked by kindness, compassion, and mercy, or by bitterness, envy, and rivalry? Faith is evidenced by experiencing the love of God and showing the love of God. And third, this morning, faith is evidenced by having confidence in the love of God. Having confidence in the love of God. Look again at verses 17 and 18 with me says there, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Verse 17 says, by this, that is, what we've already seen this morning, That it. By this, that is that we have experienced God's love and that we show God's love to one another is love perfected with us. Again, John points us to love for one another. It's the overflow of God's love toward us. So the result of God's love toward us is our love toward one another. Then he tells us here the purpose is our confident assurance so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. We, can have confidence for the day of judgment. We who have sinned against God, who have set ourselves up in rebellion against God, in opposition to the throne of God, yes, we can have confidence for the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in this world. If you've experienced the love of God in a way that leads you to show the love of God, then God's judgment of you is the same as His judgment of Jesus. He looks at you as his beloved child with whom he is well pleased. When God's love is flowing through us to one another, then we can walk in that confidence. But as we see throughout this passage, the flip side of that is also true. John says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Just as darkness cannot exist in the presence of light, neither can fear exist in the presence of love. Perfect love the love of God flowing through you to those around you is what casts out fear. It is evidence of your faith in Jesus. Your love for those around you is evidence that God has done something in your life and that He's doing something in your heart, something that He started, something that He will finish. And so you can have confidence in the love of God because your security in Christ and your confidence for the day of judgment isn't built upon your conception of love, It isn't built upon the fleeting love of those around us that seems to shift with the winds. Christian, our confidence today is in the perfect love of God toward us that shows up, sticks around, and then shows out in our love for one another. Love the hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast. It says this, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. It goes on says, those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last, bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. John isn't saying you'll never be afraid as a Christian. He's telling us where to run when we are afraid, where to look when your attention. Your faith is in the love of God and you have confidence and assurance no matter what's going on around you, not because you're always up to the challenge or up to the moment, but because God is able. He is strong. He is with you and he is for you and he is leading you through whatever it is that you're facing. You can have confidence in this that God knows you, he loves you, and there's nothing that you or anyone else can say or do to change that. So this morning, maybe you came here wondering if your faith is genuine, or maybe you came here today wondering if you're loved. Child of God, hear the words of 1 John 4. Faith is evidenced by love. Your experience of God's love through faith in Christ, you're showing his love to your family in Christ, and your confidence that's as sure and steady as the love of Christ. It's all-encompassing, life-giving, redeeming, and abiding. God's love takes sacrificial action. God's love shows up and sticks around. Does your love for those in this room, for those watching online, does it look like that kind of love? Or does verse 20 this morning act as a mirror to your soul. And it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. A failure to love is a failure of faith. If you can't love those around you, then you're lying to yourself and to others. But lying about what here? John says, if you don't love, you're a liar. Lying about what? A number of things I would say, but two we see in our passage this morning. One, a failure to love one another misrepresents who God is. We can say we love God, but if we can't love those that Jesus loves, then who's the one who is really Lord in our hearts and in our lives? Church, when we say we love God, and the world looks at the church and what they see is fighting and division and hateful words we're lying either about who we are or about who God is because if we know the God who is love then we must love one another the two a failure to love one another misrepresents the gospel See, when we say we believe in the redeeming love of Jesus that has called us and pursued us and brought us back from our sin and the destruction that we were bringing unto ourselves and those around us, when we say that's the love we believe in, but then we can't love someone who has a different opinion from us or someone who gets on our nerves or even somebody who has legitimately hurt us, right? how do those two fit together? At times that's difficult, right? It's hard. But the world sees it. The world's watching. Will we claim the love of God for ourselves and then use it as a weapon to box others out or to exclude others instead of using it to invite others in? When they see us doing that, they're left to wonder, right? Are they counterfeits? Or is it their gospel that's a counterfeit?